What the startup usually make as mistake is they go to visit a manufacturer and they see a lot of workers, maybe some big line and so on, and they believe, oh, this company, because they are big, they are probably capable. But the capability is not measured in terms of hand, it's measured in terms of skills and, and I would say experience. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode, globalfromasia.com slash episode 186. And we're getting up in the numbers. As we get up in the numbers, before we get going in the show, Andrew is heading back to Nanjing. Well, actually, where, what's your, what's your, where are you going now? I'm going back up to Nanjing on Monday, but then I'll be traveling around Koh Samui and the rest of Thailand throughout August. And my mom is actually coming out from America to visit nice. visit this side of the world. So it should be a fun month. She smuggled or, I, mean, I don't want to say smuggled, but brought brought some gear for our show with her. I bought off Amazon and shipped to your, to your mom's house in Florida. And now uh, I'm really excited to get that stuff. We're going to get another microphone so we can have three different mics. Uh, and we can also get, I got a new lens for the, for the videos. So it's exciting. I'm excited about that, but I wish I could meet her. She's pretty awesome, and she's cool. She'll be around. She's doing some cross-border e-commerce here, nice. bringing the products back yeah, to China. That's, so that's, that's relevant. We can get her as a guest. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Experience of crossing borders with gear. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, it's been great to work with you, and we're we're definitely going to keep working together. We're we're discussing while you're while you're uh, up in Nanjing. You're going to do some meetups. We got a meetup in Nanjing right in, in mid August, late August twenty fourth. Yeah, so that's going to be August 24th. Uh, there's going to be one in Hangzhou, which is near Nanjing. I know a lot of people that listen to this, they probably aren't too familiar with that area because mm-hmm. these cities aren't that big. But basically, they're around Shanghai or Shanghai, and they're they're really populated. They're, I mean, there's like 8 million people probably in both. Hangzhou is where Alibaba was started, yeah. and Nanjing has a lot of foreigners there too. And we're going to try and start some global from Asia meetups and events up there. Definitely, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. We got one in Shanghai for uh, September, and already getting speakers and sponsors reaching out. So check out the, uh, the thing at uh, all of our events at experts.globalformation.com/slash/events-calendar. Kind of long one, or just on the show notes, we'll link everything up. But it's getting pretty awesome. We just had one in Saigon, the second one last week. It was a we neither of us were there. Uh, Carl was a speaker. He was a guest a few weeks ago. He spoke, and then Bert's our chapter organizer, and he was pretty excited. And he, he excited. We already have a speaker for the next month in Saigon, so things are really moving up. And I, I have to credit Andrew did a great job, man. Even just the last couple of months only, you've been working with us, and it's it's uh, it's definitely started to to really start to come together. And and thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's been a good time. It's been an awesome opportunity, and want to keep going forward here. And we've done a great job in Vietnam. We checked out Hong Kong, and obviously we're holding it down here in Shenzhen. Yeah. So let's see what else we can do in the future. Rock on! And the e-commerce series has just started. We had our first episode just this past Friday. So just so you guys know, I didn't. We didn't make a new feed. We kept the same iTunes feed. So hopefully uh, you guys like both of these, but the idea is Tuesdays, 10 a.m. will be the regular interview series with different guests, more educational. And then Fridays, I'm thinking like 2 p.m., you know, kind of like 2 p.m. China time, end of the week, we'll put a recap of what happened or what's happening with the e-commerce series. So this past one, we were answering questions. It's been overwhelming. 
I, I even last night I was just answering questions from people and we're getting applications coming in. So it's going to be a really, really exciting time for that. So uh, lots of updates here on Global From Asia. Thanks everybody for listening. It's really about you guys listening. We also have a sponsor, Aurelia Pay. So they're a cross-border payments company. They help, actually I use them myself and, you know, I've been hesitant to take on sponsors, honestly. I mean, but, uh, you know, the, I, I really like the founding team. They're a startup. They're helping people get money into China, get money into Southeast Asia. They're kind of like a transfer wise of Asia. He was also on the show, Simon Lim, and was giving us some great value. And, and he's been supporting our events in different in Shenzhen and Hong Kong. So really, guys, check out Aurelia Pay. It's a it's a longer name and uh, we'll link it on the show notes. A-U-R-E-L-I-A-P-A-Y, AureliaPay.com. And uh, basically, this makes it easy for you to send money into different kind of like highly regulated Asian countries <laughs> pretty easily, same day too. So I, I do it myself to get people's payments right away. And so now for this week's show, we have Christopher Oliva. He is an expert, man. This guy, he, we were trying to get him as a speaker at the Cross-Border Summit he will probably be one in this coming Aprils. Uh, he is an electrical engineer from France. He's been out here in Shenzhen for, for I think, longer than I have. And he's been on the ground doing custom electronics design and manufacturing, as well as quality control. And he was just dropping crazy value. I mean, I think this should be a paid one, to be honest. I mean, he was just really giving us these insights about electronics and manufacturing and uh, i had to break it into two parts because it was it was it was so long uh and it was so amazing so i didn't want to stop them but we have this one's more about we call it differentiating yourself as a not factory so he and i and a lot of people feel like factory 2c f2c is going kind of like taking over the world people even amazon want to kind of kind of quote unquote cut everybody else out but there's still lots of opportunities. So what he did, he wanted to talk about how everybody can still make money in manufacturing and how to be different and how to compete, even though the world might be looking to go FTC. So definitely take out your notebook. This thing is jam-packed. He also helped me with the show notes. So we have a massive amount of show notes on this this series. So you can check it out at globalfromasia.com slash episode 186. And without further ado, let's go to Christopher. <laughs> Okay, thank you everybody for tuning in to another Global From Asia podcast. We have with us Christopher Oliva. Thank you for being here, Christopher. Thank you, Mike. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's <laughs> and, great. Uh, hello to all your readers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listener, sorry. <laughs> sure, sure. So thanks for thanks for calling on, and we we've done you've done some work preparing for this today. So I'm excited to talk about product development and surviving yeah. surviving as a you know I think. The Chinese uh, brands and manufacturers continue to go direct. So I'm excited for this. Yeah. I'm excited for today's uh, show. Do you mind first introducing a little bit more about yourself and and what you you and your company are doing here? Sure, sure. So typically, um, I'm a French uh, <laughs> engineer. I have been in China for about eight years now. Uh, I've been living in Shanghai and uh, also mostly in Shenzhen. I'm a, I have an electronic engineering background, but also a business administration background. I arrived in China as an intern a long time ago in 2007. Uh, and I've, I never worked actually in France or, or, or anywhere else. And I quickly um, started my career in China by doing some quality control. 
uh, inspection, factory audit, lab testing. Then it moved to sourcing, procurement, manufacturing, then to product development with manufacturer. And then in the end, uh, product de development in-house and uh, manufacturing in-house. So typically, um, I'm working for actually two companies. One is called uh, Presence Asia, uh, and uh, one of uh, of its activities is called PAG Electronics, uh, and we do some product development, mostly on electronic product. Uh, we accompany some startup to do the uh, the product development and manufacturing in China. And the second activity I, I have is actually I'm a board member of a company named Asia Quality Control, uh, where we do some um, quality inspection, factory audit, and lab testing management all over Asia. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, you definitely have a lot of experience, eight, eight years here and, and uh, your whole career in China, right? So you came here to, <laughs> came here directly after after university then? Yeah, actually, I came here even before the university because the first time I came in China was actually um, as an intern. Uh, and I, I came back after my graduation uh, directly working in China. Uh, and yes, I, I have actually spent uh, all my career in China from the beginning till now. Uh, mostly in, um, I have I have the fit in three uh, three areas: uh, product development, manufacturing, and uh, quality assurance or quality uh, quality, uh, quality quality control. Great, great. So, so yeah, you've we've been here almost the same time, and we've definitely seen a lot of changes happening with the supply chain. Uh, mm -hmm. I think just like our theme of the show, you know, I guess the world is flat. You know, the 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 information with technology, e-commerce. Uh, and different, you know, different technologies have really made made supply chain change a lot. Can you give us kind of like a a, a high level idea of where it's been and where it's going? Yeah, typically, I, I, since I have been here, I have been the supply chain changing a lot. Uh, internet really, really changed the, the deal. I mean, long time ago, you had the typical model where you have the factories and. Uh, the factory producing the goods and then you had the trading or an agent which was supervising the factory and then you had an importer in the destination country uh, this importer was in charge of importing the goods and to resell them to distributor and the distributor to the retailer and the retailer to the consumer uh, today with internet uh, everything has changed <laughs> it's more about uh, factory importer retailer consumer or more and more probably uh, Tomorrow, it's going to become factory to consumer, uh, uh, cutting the importer and probably the retailer. So this is why I've seen them, the, 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 the supply chain has been compressed uh, very highly. Definitely agree. I think it's, uh, we have this keyword, of course, there's these keywords like B2B, B2C. There's yeah. uh, F2C, which we've had also talks on the show in earlier episodes, like factory to consumer um, mm -hmm. or M2C, some people use, but more commonly F2C, which... Which uh, yeah, it's definitely happening very fast. <laughs> Just since yeah. we've since we've all been here, so um, of course you know I hate to be the scary scary guy or the bearer of ba <laughs> of, of bad news to listeners, but what we'll talk about it today, you know, in more detail. But some high level ideas: how can these importers and buyers stay competitive and survive through these changes? 
Yeah, yeah, typically, yeah, yeah. this is one big uh, challenge, I mean, for those importers who need to probably uh, change a bit uh, the way they were doing business. Um, typically, in the past, they, they used to buy some product uh, made by a factory and they usually stick their logo on it, right? <laughs> and they, they resell yeah, it in yeah. their market. <laughs> but now the factory are also doing this. They also put their own logo. <laughs> Sometimes they create a second brand, not the name, not the Chinese, not the Chinese brand, not the Chinese name, but they use a Western Western name and they start to uh, to penetrate also the the Western market, right? So um, typically, what is happening is you see the <laughs> the importer is sometimes in competition with his own supplier. And uh, and since the supplier is actually making margin between the bill of materials uh, and, um, and 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 the sales price, um, the, the 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 importer has actually no no space, no margin to to be to be in between this factory and uh, and and uh, and 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 the, and, the, and the consumer. So uh, how they can survive is. It's very difficult because they have the same products and typically the, the, the competitor has uh, the same products and the the, the the factory because they buy from them. Sure. So how can they how can they how can they differentiate why having a higher price the the consumer will not accept this? Mm-hmm. So for me, I mean, when I when I started this business, <laughs> I, I used to to help some importer to do this to do some let's say private labeling and so on. Um, but I quickly found out um, that. Customers were actually really under pressure of price because they were telling me, "Hey, uh, I have a lot of competitors and so on." And when I check who were the competitors, actually, I found out that it was Chinese manufacturers themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so how they couldn't compete because the the, the the factory was, I mean, the supplier was their competitor on the market, were putting pressure on the price. Exactly. So um, actually, I tried, decided to to change my business model and to to come back on on product development because product development allow the importer or your startup or whoever it, it is which is on the on the targeted market to have a product which is different than the, than the, the manufa- manufacturer so okay. typically uh, i found out that if an importer or uh, someone who imports some goods from china and so on uh, want to survive uh, this is this is on the margin right if you have no yeah. margin whatever whatever the volume you have you know you're not you're going to die yeah, so yeah. so you need to have some margin to have some margin you need to have a different product which is better than the competition so um, to be better what do you have to do you you have to to create innovation and product differentiation so this doesn't go via doing some picking on on the shelf product it's go by developing new product which are uh, better than other so this this is the reason i have decided to turn my business in this direction is to help importer to um, to develop new product which are not the same as what you can find on the market okay. uh, already already or at least uh, a bit different so I, I think if tomorrow the importer want to survive, they will need to, to do some innovation, product differentiation, and to protect the IP also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, IP is a huge one that we always hear about and, and talk about on the show. So it's uh, it's great. You're, I definitely agree with your points here. So you kind of went to the next point here, but maybe some of these mistakes um maybe in choosing the supplier or just in the in the new product development process okay so you're talking about um let's say the common mistake yeah. that the startup or the importer are doing yeah typically i have seen quite 
I, I'm in touch with a lot of startups because most of the time the people who come to me, they are startups. <laughs> okay, sometimes cool. so, also some importer, but mostly startup. And sometimes, they, I mean, most of times they don't know very well how the business model and the supply chain is uh, structured in, in China. So one of the biggest common mistake I see from startup is um, to believe that a manufacturer is is necessarily capable to do product development because they manufacture a product. But actually in China, um, the manufacturers sometimes are not capable or don't want to do it because this is not their activity. Their activity uh, is to do some mass production of a product at a very low uh, R&D cost and they don't really like to do the, the product development. Another stuff I, I know is quite a lot of manufacturers actually don't do the engineering by themselves. They don't do the product development by themselves. They subcontract this mm -hmm. to some uh, product development company. Uh, and then they manufacture uh, the product that the product development company or the engineering company has designed for them. So <laughs> if, uh, if, yeah. uh, if, a start, if a startup go to a manufacturer, actually they don't know their idea is going to another company, which they don't know, because quite often the manufacturer will not let know the, the startup or the importers that they don't do the, manu the, the engineering by themselves. Yeah. So there is a flow actually of IP and, uh, and ID go I, going I, somewhere you cannot control. <laughs> I think we've both seen that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I've seen that myself. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> I have, I have, I have suffer, suffered this at the beginning when I, when, when I started the activity about uh, seven or eight years ago. <laughs> I had this, uh, I, I discovered this myself on an order. I had, <laughs> I had an order running on and we had some problem with quality. And when I pushed the factory to tell me, hey, where the problem is coming from, I actually found out they didn't know. <laughs> and I, I was wondering, how come they, they don't know? Because they tell me they have an engineer in the factory. <laughs> But actually... Digging, digging, <laughs> digging in the information, I found out that the engineer was actually just a technician. He was not an engineer. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I found out they were working with another company behind, which they never told me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, this was one, uh, one of the of the, what what made me turn actually to 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 do the development myself was to was to to finding that actually uh, the factory had no control on on the design. Uh, yeah. And uh, typically, what they, what they were doing, actually, on the electronic is extremely common. Uh, a factory, which is an assembler, will actually purchase, for example, a PCBA directly from an engineering company. They don't buy the file and the source and the IP and then produce the PCB by themselves. No, they buy the PCBA directly from those engineering company. And uh, actually, they buy a PCBA where they don't know what kind of component is it on it. They don't have control on the supply of those components. They don't know if this component is recycled. They don't mm -hmm. know if this component is a second-end uh, component. They don't know anything. So this is one, one of the problems. Uh, and uh, actually quite a lot of startups believe that their manufacturer can develop their product, but actually uh, quite often they don't do it by themselves. And when yeah. problems come out, then it becomes very difficult to solve problems because you are in blind mode. You don't know who is the people doing the, the engineering because quite often the manufacturer will not like to, to tell you who is this. It's true. Yeah. So, so, so this is one of the problems, I would say, the biggest. I see it all the time because I, I, I recover quite a lot of uh, project of startup who uh, they start with a manufacturer and then it turns that the, the manufacturer cannot finish it. And when I dig, actually, all the time, I found out that uh, the manufacturer doesn't do the engineering by themselves. It's true. Yeah. So, so I, I like your I like your points uh, in, in, our out, in our outline here. 
said, uh, I, I think, at least I'll admit myself, I used to think factories had experience with product development. You think as, as far as, I don't know where we learned that or got that idea, but I always would assume they make a lot of products uh-huh. So they yeah. must have experience making products, <laughs> but actually they're not really, there's different ways of making up. There's mass production and there's design, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so that definitely people don't, un- I think a lot of the listeners don't really understand the differences of manufacturing yeah, and yeah. design. There's totally different yeah. things. Let's yeah, say, you know, I guess things. like Apple, right? Apple still designs a lot of their products yeah. in house and then they have Foxconn manufacture it but yeah. foxconn is taking the design and making yeah. it making it from the design not making the design themselves so i yeah, think correct this is a big issue i think a lot of startups have is they think they yeah. can just tell the factory this is what they want and the factory <laughs> can make it yeah yeah because as, as i always say you know it's uh to do some design and engineering and so on you need to have some really high um, technical skills, you know, and <laughs> I usually image this by saying for engineering and product development, you really need some brain, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to have some skill, you need to have some experience, you need to have a good un- understanding even of the manufacturing uh, and to have a really uh, a brain, right? Mm-hmm. For the manufacturing, you need to have some hand actually, yeah. because yeah. <laughs> what you need is to scale up uh, a, a duplicating a product which is existing uh, let's say a reference sample and you need to duplicate it to do the mass production so you need some hand so exactly what what the startup usually make as mistake is they go to visit a manufacturer and they see a lot of workers maybe some big line and so on and they believe oh this company because they are big they are probably capable but the capability is not measured in terms of hand it's measured in terms of skills and and i would say experience so um, this is actually one of the fake idea of oh, a factory is big, so and they might they might be capable. I like that too. Yeah, you have that in your outline. Like, just because there's lots of people, it doesn't mean yeah. they have to write the smart people, right? Yeah, lots. yeah, something like this. I think in uh, I think everywhere. A lot of times, I don't know if you get this too, but in I don't know if it's something. In, also, I didn't spend too much time in the U- U.S. in a professional either, but. In China, it's always how big is your company. Usually, is yeah, how, yeah. is measured by the amount of workers you have, yeah. right? Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. why does the amount of workers yeah. I have equal yeah. the size of my company? You know, yeah, where, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, this is this is this is the point. You're you're right. Actually, if I if I compare also, actually, the factory in France are quite quite small. Uh, not only in France, actually, if you go to Taiwan, you will find some Taiwanese factory. They have the same output in terms, for example, of quantity uh, than a Chinese company, but they just have half the number of workers. Yeah. That's because they are more efficient or something like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the size of the company can quite often impress, I would say, uh, some buyer. Yeah. But it doesn't reflect uh, really the expertise and the professionalism of, of this company. Uh, from my uh, from from my experience, I agree with you actually. Yeah, cool. and you know you know what we say in a, in in, a, in the engineering field. We sure. say that 100, 100 medium engineer will never equal one very good engineer. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, this is something I've, you know? I I guess uh, I usually admit. I, my learning, I always thought it was cool. Yeah, like I, I was always impressed when I came. I'm like, wow, look at all these people. You know, it's in China, there's people, yeah. right? This is like the most populated, yeah, yeah. one of the most populated in the world. So you're kind of impressed these offices have hundreds of workers. And then, like, it's, we talk a lot about Amazon too. You know, 
Amazon sellers mm-hmm. overseas are like one people, maybe a bunch of online workers. And then they're in Chinese Amazon sellers are like hundreds of workers. Like mm-hmm. it's crazy. And, uh, but a lot of yeah, times yeah. the output, the sales might be better by this. There's some really skilled sellers. Mm-hmm. They can, yeah. they can sell as much as maybe a, a team of uh, others can do. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, hopefully people don't measure the success of a company by the amount of staff that work there. So, <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's all related to efficiency, actually. I would prefer to see a company who has only maybe 50 workers, but who have a great output, rather than a company who has many workers, but very poor uh, very poor uh, sales or something like this. So, yeah, yep. you're right. <laughs> yep. So... So let's let's say you want to evaluate a company. So maybe like we're just discussing the point of uh, how do you how do you vet this supplier? I mean, if they have a thousand workers or a hundred workers or ten workers, I mean that's probably not a good barometer. So what what should we look at? If if, if you want to to choose, for example, a manufacturer for product development, the first things I would look at is actually uh, if they really have the engineering skills inside the own company. Quite often, they are going to tell you, "Hey, we have engineers." So, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but what 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 those engineers are capable to do, you don't really know. Actually, they are able to open a file of PCB. Yes, okay, but can you modify it? <laughs> are you able to to open a, a 3D CAD file? Yes, okay, but can you modify the part very quickly if if we if I need it or not? So. Quite often, I would verify first if the uh, engineering department have access to the source file of the of the of, of the project. Uh, for an electronic product, typically it would be the bill of material, and quite often they have it. Uh, but also the PCB design file, the schematic of the file, uh, the firmware, for example, the source code of the firmware. If there is some micro microchip or anything on the on the on the on the device. Um, mostly and and the and the and the 3D CAD file of course. If they have all of this, it's already a good start. But then I would verify, as I say, if they can do some modification quickly if I if I need. Because having file it doesn't mean they are they have edited it. It doesn't mean they created it. It means they have it. <laughs> so <laughs> if I if I want to modify because if I go to a manufacturer it will be for developing a product, there will be some modification to do on maybe an existing product. But how long it's going to take and I will be will will I be able to discuss directly with the engineer in front of me to guide him to do the modification in front of me quickly or not? This is something I would verify in terms of uh, product development capability. So I would ask them to to modify a bit some file in front of me just to verify if they can do it and if they know how to do it. If they are searching in every direction which button they have to click to change something, it's already not, not a very good sign, I would say. <laughs> so mm. this is a, this is something you have to care about. Uh, I would usually challenge them a bit on very deep technical questions. The typical problem we have in China is if you go to a manufacturer, you're going to face the typical sales people and the language. <laughs> and they're going to say the engineer doesn't speak English. Oh, she speaks speak English, but yeah. she doesn't know anything exactly. about the technical. <laughs> I totally no idea. They're like they're like usually fresh fresh graduates, right? From yeah, exactly. college. And yeah, they're yeah, they're yeah. there on Skype all day and Alibaba yeah. and I they agree. don't yeah. I so I, I know you're gonna say talk to the engineer, but I know a lot of listeners, you know, they're they're frustrated. They're on a lot of them go crazy. Like I used to go crazy when I was before I was here. It's like you're talking on Skype in the middle of the night. You know, you're talking to English-speaking sales rep, 
usually it's a female, it doesn't matter, but usually talking to some (laughs) sales rep that doesn't have any experience with the product. So how do you talk to the engineer? You you tell them I need it. They're going to say that an engineer probably doesn't speak English, right? Yeah, this this is one of the big problems actually in China is you you have one side, the people who speak English but doesn't know anything the technical, and you have another side, someone who knows the technical but doesn't speak English. Exactly. So so here you need to be a bit bit smart. I mean, either you have the chance to be able to speak speak Chinese (laughs) and you can discuss a bit with them and sometimes I do it, uh, or you need to find a way to uh, to have someone maybe in your team who can be able to speak Chinese but with a background a bit in engineering <laughs> to ask the, 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 the right question because of course if when you're going to ask the sales to translate she's going to say oh but what does that mean this I don't know uh, PCB okay I know what is a PCB but what is a capacitor ah, I don't know you know so so oh, it's a bit complicated you would need to use some translation actually <laughs> maybe Google yeah, Translate probably. to, to to discuss with the with the with the engineer, oh. um, yeah, this is this is one 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 point you can you, you can do, sure. and of course to discuss with this engineer, you need to have also a minimum of skills yourself because if you don't know which question to ask and how to evaluate the answer that the the, the engineer is going to send you back, it's it's complicated. You know, you cannot mm. really evaluate. You can ask question, but how do you evaluate the answer? Agree. <laughs> Yeah, so this kind of goes into the next the next next point which is going to be a really really good one for listeners is the phases or the process like you know, I think at some point if they're doing a really uh, a unique product, you know, if they're not just doing a private label or they're not buying something off the shelf, I I think they're going to have to come to China uh, at least some part of this. I don't maybe we can include that, but but you have a pretty good process here of, of multiple phases if if you don't mind sharing with with the listeners some of the the process yeah 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 okay no problem well yeah when i receive a startup you know it's it's always a bit difficult because uh, like the we kick, don't know i don't know or kickstarter you probably deal with a lot of these guys that <laughs> yeah they're in trouble like before they even start because they <laughs> yeah. sold it for like less than yeah ex- exactly they have no yeah. i don't know if you, they're different uh if there are different process, but there's a lot of these. <laughs> I think you talk yeah. to a more than I do, but I talk to a bunch of these too. And uh, yeah, those kind of guys sometimes you need to to uh, you know to 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 uh, to to stop the fire. They have sold something <laughs> and it's just unmakeable, you know. And it, it's 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 terrible because today with Kickstarter, the people can launch anything, and uh, they can promise everything <laughs> without uh, having a real. Uh, a sense of it if it's doable or not you know sometimes i look a bit on indigo and kickstarter and i see some some project and knowing myself the technical i i find it's, it's, i think that this is insane this product cannot be made just because for <laughs> example they have a very thin product and i know myself for example the smallest component cannot even fit in the size of, of what they propose so <laughs> I'm oh, a bit, man. I guess. We shouldn't so, be laughing. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrible. But, you know, around me, I, I check a bit and there are actually quite a lot of startups who just bankrupt uh, after doing a Kickstarter and uh, they, they have sold some things that they cannot make and everybody is shouting on Kickstarter yeah, or Indiegogo. Yeah. <laughs> this is a terrible situation. So um, I don't recommend to sell something if you're not sure about what you're doing. Uh, my my um, My framework is a bit different. 
Of course, when I receive a request, uh, I'm not going to say yes to everything. I usually um, assess a bit the the project and the team and the startup with the investor investor eyes. Actually, mm. um, I don't consider myself as a supplier or service contractor um, because um, you know engineering is is a product development is a complicated activity. It's time consuming. It requires a lot of skills, uh, people. Uh, it's very transversal in terms of activities. Uh, and uh, you need to, when you put someone on the project, it's going to be quite capital intensive. So actually, I reject quite a lot of uh, a lot of requests because uh, there are some stuff I don't find very relevant into the, the approach. It can be some uh, technical stuff which are not relevant, can be the team which is not enough uh, build or the people don't have experience on this and that. Uh, can be a lack of uh, potential marketing uh, on the distribution channel, can be some uh, market size issue, some price point issue. So this is my first review I see myself when somebody send me um, a request for a, for, for a startup uh, project. But I would say the, 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 the three phase, I mean the four phase, uh, which, which come after are typically, uh, you have the phase zero, which I call the phase zero, which is usually, um, I would say, a feasibility study, uh, which need to be done before uh, starting a product. If you want to do something a bit new and a bit innovative, uh, before uh, starting to invest in engineering, design, and so on, tooling and uh, certification, uh, you will want to make sure that the product can be done and you will, you, you will want to assess the risk of uh, starting the, the, the product development process. So quite often, I when the, the project are a bit uh, a bit dangerous, I would say, there are some hmm. risks. I, I, can, I can smell already that there yeah. will be some challenge. I would propose um, the, the startup to do a technical feasibility study and cost analysis. Um, this allows us to have already a first taste of where we are going to go, what is going to be um, the price point af after mass production. So they can they know if they will be competitive on the market or no. Got it. Uh, what are the limitations in terms of um, component size? What are the limitations in terms of physical, uh, uh, I mean, physics aspect? Sometimes you have some radio frequency, you know, they, some customer ask you some crazy things <laughs> in terms of range of uh, distance between two devices, something like this. Uh, so normally I propose this feasibility uh, study uh, and cost analysis. It gives them a very clear budget of what they have to expect uh, in terms of uh, product development, manufacturing, tooling, uh, certification, and so on, and gives them also a real um, view of where are the, the risk and limitation uh, for uh, to, to to know where 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 they will be maybe need to compromise on the product. So this is the the phase first phase, which is the phase zero. Then after you have the phase one, which is a product development phase, and this one is one of the most complicated because, as I say. Uh, it requires a lot of transversal, uh, transversal uh, skills. Uh, you need to have a designer to design a product. You need to have an engineer. Oh, quite often, you have a mechanical engineer for the for the for the mechanical part. Then you have an electronic hardware engineer for um, for the PCB design. Then you need a, a firmware engineer to do the embed software on the uh, on the on the on the electronic. And you need maybe also a, a software engineer for uh, for a mobile app. There's so much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And they, and they need to work together because 
the mechanical engineer will design the case uh, based on the PCB uh, on the PCB shape, or sometimes in, inversely, you have the, the PCB designer who need to work with the mechanical engineer to make the PCB to fit fit inside the, the case. So this part is a bit uh, quite complex, and um, it's never perfect the first time. So you're going to do your engineering, and then you're going to do a prototype to um, to validate your engineering. Uh, quite often, the first prototype is not going to be perfect. <laughs> so we need to do some a bit some feedback loop, you know, come back a bit on the engineering and uh, correct what is not perfect on the on the prototype, and um, and move forward like this a bit by a small iter- iteration. Um, so this phase is a bit a bit long, uh, not very. I mean, I wouldn't say not straightforward, but there may sometimes there are some surprise. You know, you, sometimes you may discover some surprise. But the goal of the feasibility study is to anticipate those bad surprises that you can have during the engineering. So this is a bit uh, a, a bit uh, yeah. the most com- most complex. It requires engineering, but you have also the project manager, which is managing all those engineers or the CTO who should have experience of the engineering and should have experience of the manufacturing should have experience of the sourcing and should have experience of so also of the um, certification process because normally when you design um, when you design um, a product uh, of course you have the requirement of the customer but you have also requirement from uh, certification if you design something and in the end you find out you cannot certify then you need to come back at the beginning and restart again you know so <laughs> so it's very you need to the PM need to to know the the requirement, and same for manufacturing. If you start a, to design a plastic part, but you cannot uh, remove it from the tooling when it's uh, molded, then you have some problem. So this phase, the the product development phase, is the most complex. Then the phase two is typically a pre-mass production phase, and this one is a small, very small phase, but this is a necessary necessary phase where you're going to do your tooling uh, to be ready for uh, producing your uh, your your plastic part or your metal part. Uh, we normally also include uh, a part of um, quality assurance management at this time, because um, we don't let the manufacturer to uh, to do everything by himself. We are going to guide them a bit about how to do the things. And I would say that this documentation, a product quality manual, which explain how the product should be assembled, uh, how the product should be tested, uh, what are the the requirement for the procurement, which parts they should buy and so on, should be done by um, by the people who have done the engineering or the startup. And this is going to mitigate the risk of uh, quality on uh, on mass production because actually you closed you close a framework for the manufacturer to respect uh, to respect those uh, those If you don't give them anything, they are going to do their own way. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I believe in the Mur- I believe in the Murphy law. Yeah, which is that everything everything bad can happen. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit negative, so, but it's smarter. <laughs> so yeah, so you should you should anticipate all the problems that may happen not mass production, uh, and should prepare the necessary documentation yourself, and give this documentation to uh, to the manufacturer. I think Apple is doing this actually with uh, when they work with Foxconn. I think they prepare the documentation and then they give this to Foxconn to execute. But uh, but they don't let the they don't let Foxconn to do it. So this is how it should be done. And finally, the last 
is the phase, uh, the, let's say the phase three, is the mass production. So this is typically a, a procurement phase for manufacturer. Uh, you're going to, to do procurement, initial quality control, assembly, final quality control, and packaging. For me, this is the, the, the most easy phase because once a product has been developed and uh, a sample is stabilized and, uh, and established, uh, it's just duplicating, right? Duplicating a product, as I said before, it's just having some hand. You need to, to have people, you need to have an organization, you need to have some process in place. But if all of this is well controlled, normally they shouldn't have too many problems on the, on the production. So um, this is, for me, the easy part, I mean, <laughs> to do the, the, the mass production because mm -hmm. it's just about controlling the procurement, controlling the supply chain, very important of components. Uh, you know, in, in China, the manufacturers are quite specialized of swapping some uh, uh, some materials of some component because quite often, if since they are on big quantity, let's say on production of 5,000 or 10,000 pieces, if they can save maybe uh, maybe half a dollar on a, on a plastic materials, for them, it's already making maybe 500 or 5,000 dollars, you know, profit, maybe 500, but still. So as long as you control the procurement of the raw materials, the procurement of the component, and as long as you, you control the process, the manufacturing process uh, and the QC process, normally uh, this phase is quite okay, I would say. But if you have any mistake, then it's going to scale up the mistake on many, many parts. So, so Amazing. you know, yeah, like good. a le leverage. Great. Okay, everybody. Thank you, Christopher. That was amazing. And we will have to get back to him next week, next Tuesday. So as I said in our intro, we're going to have another e-commerce series, episode two, this coming Friday, where we will be talking about Amazon Seller Central account and incorporation for this new e-commerce company. Where should we incorporate? We have an expert coming on to share about that. And then next Tuesday will be the second part of this series on our interview series with Christopher, where we will dive deeper into overseeing your your custom manufacturing project and managing your factory order, which is just more amazing stuff. So don't miss out next week. And again, the show notes here are at globalfromasia.com slash episode 186. And another thank you to our media sponsor and event sponsor, Aurelia Pay, for cross-border payments if I use them myself. So I'm always comfortable recommending them. The basic use case is if you have a Hong Kong company or a bank account in Asia and you want to get from one Asian country, they have about five or six different currencies. So if you want to get money into the Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, mainland China from or other ways or Singapore, you can easily get your money sent from one to the other and they do it same day and it's all online. So you basically just say, I want to send 20, either you say how much you want to send or how much do you want the other person to receive. You wire it to Aurelia Pay's bank account in that currency, and then they take care of it in that local country. Very convenient, very easy to use, and, and a very nice founder, founding team, and uh, supporting the show. So definitely, if you're looking to send cross-border payments in Asia, check out Aurelia Pay. It'll be on the show notes. And see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. And Thanks for seeing us grow, and I hope to get you guys involved. Also, I just want to say we're just so overwhelmed with applications, but please, if you haven't applied for the e-commerce series and you're interested to get involved with the FBA business, please still have apply time until August 8th, next Tuesday. So when this next show airs, we'll be closing the applications. So you still have some time if you're listening. 
when the show is published. And if you don't apply or you don't get selected, we will. I'm still going to figure out some kind of bonus for everybody that applied. So if you do apply, you will get some kind of a bonus, at least from me. And if you are, you know, you can follow that e-commerce series. And we're doing it on the same show. I didn't want to make another iTunes feed, another podcast category, another website. I feel like it's similar. And the coolest part, Andrew's uh, here, is my wife supports this, finally. (laughs) She was uh, thinking, you know, it's like we make a good match because I'm the kind of creative, crazy person. And she's the more... uh, more management, uh, making sure the short term is working. So she felt it was a little bit, a little bit distracting or not focused. But now that she sees so much interest from everywhere, China, Chinese people have been contacting her. We get a lot of people in the Western world, and we're going to really try to do that. We want to make teams with cross culture, cross border teams, as well as cross border e-commerce. So see you on Tuesday for that, and next Tuesday for the second part of the series. Thanks everybody, and take care. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.